Welcome back, listeners, to Season 3 of Dark Tides. We're here again. I am your host, show creator, narrator, and DM. I think that's how we used to do it. Aubrey Lydon, with me as always, because they are chained. <laughs> what? Jess is making eye contact with me. It's making Great. me uncomfortable. Well, uh, chained to the desk, as they always are, are Chester and BJ, my co-hosts, stars, and slaves. Welcome we're not doing a second take. Chester, stop it. Am I allowed to talk now? Yes. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's good to be here. Uh, yes, I've been chained to this chair. We've never for, left. <laughs> since November last year. Um, yep. It's been a while. It, it's been such a long time. Look, we did other things, but were they good? It's been so long that I was actually Ooh. excited to do this today. I know, me too. Says I mean, the boy who woke up ten minutes before. Well, BJ... <laughs> wasn't here, so it was fine. Well, yeah, that's how you know he's excited. He didn't wake up ten minutes after yeah, I got usually. here. <laughs> um, yeah, because we recorded Bates, but even that was, like, multiple months ago when we finished that. Yeah. Because we finished recording way before we finished releasing. So it's whew, it's pretty crazy. It's good to be back. It's crazy, man. Now, if this is your first time listening to Dark Tides, you are at the wrong place beginning of season three then you have disrespected Aubrey's creative vision yes. and you will go back to the first episode if you've started here uh, you've missed the first two seasons and two prequel seasons hold on let me let me break down the timeline please for you, okay? don't so first you gotta start with Feed the Machines that's set in the, the mid 70s then you move your way over into Mr. Bates which is for some reason set in the mid 90s in Canada even though apparently uh, Canada has some type of culture which we didn't actually include in the show but that doesn't matter it doesn't matter anyway then you move your way on to season one of Dark Tides uh, you, you make your way Dork through there tides. Dork Tides while also working your way through many of the Patreon only exclusive episodes and we told you about Patreon it comes yeah, oh, oh, then you move your way over into so uh, actually before you watch season, listen to season two, you got to listen through uh, the Tower Transmission oh, you gotta, series. You do have to listen to well, only the, only the first two episodes concurrently. Yeah, yeah first yeah, two episodes of that. Then yeah. you start listening your way through season two. It's yeah. a fun time. There's a bunch of different Patreon stuff for that. And then while also working through Breaking Tides. <laughs> eventually, you'll find your way here. I can't tell if Chester was hoping that we would interrupt him. In sure. There. No, I like st- I like talking. Yeah, he does mm. like talking. None of Chester's Pet- comedy involves uh, stopping at the appropriate point. <laughs> I was well, giving you a full recap. It's the comedy break. of playing the joke out until uh, it's long, long dead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. You, you can tell we grew up listening to the Goon Show. <laughs> yes. Now uh, we haven't done who you play. Who do you play? Are we doing that? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Hello, my name is. BJ, I guess. I'm pretty sure I already said that. I play Alistair Stern. I bet you knew that. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't written an intro for him. We don't. We can. We'll, we'll do that. Those we'll out. do that later. We'll do that in in yes. character. Uh, I play Alistair Stern. He's whew, he's been, back. I'm dusting him out, dusting him out of the cupboard, bringing him back. I'm not being Tully for once. It's nice. It's good. Mm. It's good to be back. I am Chester, and I play Ernest Marsh, the Young man, hat wearing, shoe adorned, young man, <sighs> the age of twenty something. Uh, he likes long walks on the beach. You see what I mean about the playing a joke out? <laughs> yeah. 
I I feel like this is slander as long as I have. You know what? I'm going to cut Aubrey's audio at this point, (laughs) and I'm just going to start to keep talking here. I'll Uh, mysteriously start uh, getting asked to edit more episodes. Everyone everyone else just starts fading out while I talk, uh, (laughs) but later on me, guys. Aubrey will just suddenly be like, hey, BJ, can you just just take over all of the editing, Mm. please? Like, why? Why? All right, well, we're not going to do character fun facts uh, because we haven't played the characters in almost a year and we don't remember anything. Ah! <laughs> a good. possum just jumped through the window and attacked VJ. <laughs> it's a gnome! Uh, but we're going to do we're going to do us fun facts or nice, something. Nice. Just to keep with the format, you know, we're getting back into it. We're winding yes. up. Uh, Are we doing fun facts and recommendations? Or, you know, whatever. Nice. Um... Am I going to sneeze again? My goodness. Huh? Chester, you want to start? Yeah. I, well, he's going to sneeze in the middle of what I'm doing. <laughs> Disrespecting me. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, you got it. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So, uh, fun fact about Chester. Chester is now 35 books deep in his collection of Stephen King books. 35 out of 80. So, wow. Make them away, make them away. Downtown. Uh, I've also gotten in contact with a bunch of different eBay sellers on Instagram who now just keep an eye out for me for Stephen King books. And if they ever find any, they message me first before they put it on eBay or start selling it anywhere. It's gotten so bad that Chester and I were doing a live stream together the other day and he got a call from one of our friends who was out shopping and was like, hey, I found a Stephen King book. You want me to buy it for you? And I was like, mm, mm, mm. Chester left the stream. <laughs> I walked he out. He actually did. It was. I had yeah. to take the car, man. I had to take the car. Them books, man. Uh, yep. And so my recommendation is a very small one, which is in a very different style to his typical one, but it's called The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. So if you enjoy our uh, our Wendigo arc and the way that and like Wendigos as a creature, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon is probably the best rendition of a Wendigo that I've ever seen. Uh, it's really clever, really interesting. It goes second in, best. We ours are pretty good. Uh, true, true. But um, it takes on more of a concept of uh, when you go being more of a spirit than a um, than a living creature. Which is, I'm not sure if it's more classic or and more true to the myth. I'm not sure. But it's a really cool idea, really cool presentation, and just really good book. It's really short on Audible. It's like six hours, so you can blast through it. Nice. Wonderful. Mm. Uh, okay. Well, my f- my fun fact is this morning as I was driving here, uh, my my car when it's cold, like it has, it's a it's an old car, right? So it has a carburetor. You got to pull the choke out to like restrict the amount of air, so it's like a richer fuel mixture, so that it like until the the engine warms up. And usually, once you've been driving for five or ten minutes, you can push the choke in, and it's all good. Every time I stopped at a light or something. I would push the clutch in and it would go to idle and then just slowly the revs would go down and down and down and it would nearly stall. And so every time I was trying to brake and stop at the lights, I was having to like put my foot on the brake because my left foot's pushing the clutch down. My right foot's like, brake a little bit, rev the engine, brake a little bit, rev the engine. Please don't stall, rev the engine, brake, rev, brake, rev. Someone <laughs> like, thinks he's one stopping. of those like jerks at the lights. It's just vroom. Yeah, no. It's like, I'm vroom. trying to keep my car alive. <laughs> like every time I stopped was like, have to stop a little bit. And then I'd be rolling forward as I'm trying to not, so- and then like stop a little bit more and pull the chair. It was very interesting. So yeah, drives fine. Doesn't idle. <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on. But yeah. That's my fun fact for me. I and what a fun died. fact it was. Are you going to recommend something? Uh, yeah, my recommendation, well, I, I chatted to these two about it, but I've been playing a game called The Long Dark recently, which I bought years ago, and it's very, like, 
survival, post-apocalyptic, wintry. Uh, you've got to constantly manage like temperature and food and water and all that stuff. Um, and it was way too hard for 16-year-old BJ. <laughs> it's too much to deal with, but I've been playing through the story mode, which is actually really fun, and I'm enjoying it. Um, and I feel like it's helped me to get into the 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 zone of this show. It's it's, it's good. It's good. The, um, I remember Jack Septicai oh. playing it and him just finding like random holes in ice and fishing yeah. in them. It's like, wow, this is so interesting. Yeah, it's, but it's, I stopped watching because anytime he would go into a building, you just couldn't see anything. And I was like, I can't yeah. see anything. That's the problem. If you're going in like an hour after sunrise or before sunset, it's just pitch black. So you have to have a lantern or something. Once you get your lantern, mm. you're fine. You can explore buildings and stuff. But I literally just had to Google it because I was like, is this, is it? I have played this. I played this a little while ago. Oh, really? I never made it out of the bear cave. Once you end up in the bear cave, I could never get out. Nice. Nice. So I died there and I left the game. <laughs> it's the the survival mode is is tricky. And mm. I always found the balance between because I wanted to explore the environment and not die. So mm. I kept like having a base and stockpiling food and then like, oh well, I've got to go on a three day walk to get to the next area. So I couldn't balance that. But the story's good because like it makes you it makes you go somewhere. So you just have to trust like, okay, I just trust that I can find food on the way there. And yeah. Yeah. It's good. Because you were playing that when we were first recording season one. Is that about? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I was bouncing between characteristically that and Enter the Gungeon. Um, and ah. you could say that for just about anything that I've played in the last two years is I was bouncing between that and replaying Enter the Gungeon. Yes. <laughs> the other thing about The Long Dark is it's very like you really have to understand the mechanics to be able to survive. Mm. And you can only understand the mechanics by playing the game a lot. <laughs> so it's, it's hard. So I think the story modes help me to like ease into that, and I'll probably play survival after that. But currently zero deaths. I was wondering, BJ, are you going to possibly stream that on twitch.tv.com? Oh, yes. I've been st- that's the other thing. I've been starting live streams on twitch.tv slash bdsquid. Shameless um, plug. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know if I'll be streaming The Long Dark, maybe. It's, I feel like that's more of a play in the evening before you go to bed game. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it, but uh, going to build a new computer. Going to be streaming soon. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you want to check that out, <laughs> twitch.tv slash bjsquid. Now let's make the show, I'm, God I'm damn just going to cut my bit out and oh, replace yeah. it with <laughs> patreon.com slash dark times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, please do that. Please do that. All right. Um, okay, look, I don't have a fun fact. Not interesting. Uh, I don't have a recommendation. Not interesting, but I want to talk about something I'm angry about. Okay. All right. I'm just using this as my platform. One D&D is a travesty. Oh, boy. Here we go. I am infuriated. Well, the name's annoying. The name's already annoying. <laughs> why are you trying to take... Wizards of the Coast, why are you trying to take... Already our sponsorship possibilities. <laughs> Screw that. An analog tabletop game and make it an RPG. Uh, Aubrey, can you explain what 1D&D is for people like me who don't know what it is? I'm I'm so angry by the concept of it that I actually haven't done that much research. (laughs) (laughs) But what I understand is... um, Here we are. Aubrey's acted emotionally (laughs) already. It's coming up. It's coming up on ten years since they released fifth edition of D anD. d Okay, um, and that's a usually the rough time frame in which they then release a new edition where they change a bunch of stuff. 
And it's always debatable as to whether a new edition is actually a good thing or a bad thing. But sure. So when they released it, they had a big announcement. Question: People like so. So before D was around for way longer than ten years. Before D was around for ages, wasn't it? Um. And do they stop? I don't know. Do they stop doing changes and improvements on the edition when they do the new one? Yes. So they're going to stop doing five yes. E editions for five. Oh, for well, one. You're you're asking multiple different questions. Maybe what we should do. Uh, Let me finish. No, I know. I, I know. What we should do is we should expound on. Hold on. Network. Hold on, Aubrey. This is our podcast. <laughs> no, maybe right, maybe go. we can shelve this for our after show discussion on Patreon. Yes, we can. We can. I will rant more, but safe to say, I'm not happy with the coast. <laughs> Please sponsor us. <laughs> on a show that I wouldn't started take out your with, money. Let's make you couldn't not... afford me. Let, let, let's do a Dark Tides book. <laughs> you tell him, girl. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I will point out this show started with let's make not a and d show and create our own thing because we can do it better. Yes. I don't think we were getting a sponsorship. Oh, in yeah, the first right. Place. Yeah, we're not using Foe. Screw no. you, Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. <laughs> We don't need you. We've only used 5e for that Christmas special, I think. See, and frankly, frankly, I think it's being too polite to call them Wizards of the Coast because they're really owned by Hasbro. <laughs> Screw you, Wizards of the Desert. <laughs> they're really owned by Nestle. <laughs> ha- Hasbro just owns all of the kids' toy stuff. <laughs> all right, all anyway, kids. enough of that. Um, spat on my computer. Chester, don't do that. That's unhygienic. All right. Have we reached our episode limit yet? Yep. If you needed okay. a refresher and you didn't do what I know most of our patrons have been doing, which is just re-listening to everything we have made in the break between uh, which is what I should Mr. Have Bates done. and yeah, now. Yeah, like the one-month break. At least a couple of you have listened to everything again. I was literally, oh, this would be quick, I was in the car on the way over and uh, between stalling at traffic lights, and I was like, man, how did my weapon work again? I really should have listened to the fight at the end of season two to remember how any of my mechanics work. Yeah, and what was that I didn't? Alistair and Puck's code names that we gave at the oh, end? Raven something. Who, Raven's Wing. Was, was it De- Raven's Wing? Uh, was, yeah, or was it Desert E? No, that was the end of the episode. Desert, Desert E. No, that's a gun, Jess. Well, no, that was the end of the episode. <laughs> anyway, um, just look, text Red Panda and go, what was the name of that thing? <laughs> I'll do that um, right now. Okay. I'm going to give you uh, the quickest possible sum up of seasons one and two that I can. All right. Season one. Ernest, park ranger wannabe, turned up at the archipelago very quickly. What? Wannabe? He, was. he wasn't hired yet. He, he technically, wasn't. He get through his recap. No, no. You can... Technically, he didn't sign the papers until almost the That's end of season true. one. So he wasn't actually a it's park ranger. It's fault the guy died. It's basically like <laughs> someone going, mm, there's not enough police around. I'll take this gun. <laughs> <laughs> I am the I'll police. I'll take these, flo- these boots and this flare. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and was very quickly embroiled in a mystery of missing persons along with Alistair. Uh, you were on the hunt, in a good way, for the missing park ranger chief who had attacked you. You were also looking for a missing boy named Wilbur. You got embroiled in a new agey cult called the Children of the Tide. That was fun. Um, You had a bunch of different adventures. You discovered a, a changeling in a cave. Uh, and at the end, you ended up in a cavern in the mountains of the archipelago where you found a hive of zombie, petrified, undead, uh, possessed Nerds. people. Uh, and you discovered that that little boy was being sort of possessed by someone called Mother, some kind of spirit from another realm or dimension who was... Uh, 
directing the Children of the Tide. You rescued Wilbur. You kicked uh, this entity known as Mother out of his head. Uh, and it ended with uh, Ernest getting bamfed into another dimension, seemingly dead, and Randy losing a hand. Randy, the real, the <laughs> real Chad. victim, the real victim. <laughs> the he real tried, victim. he tried to stop that bullet with his hand. Mm-hmm. What, what a Chad, what a hero. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to grab that. Anything, my fingers. Anything else you want to add about season one? No. Chutney, Chutney. Uh, Chutney. Yes, you also had Winston who died. <laughs> he di- who died in um, what I would like That's to That's his character trait is that yeah, he died Yeah, he died in maybe the most unimpressive wizard battle uh, Put to audio content It's hard to do a wizard battle in audio <laughs> It <laughs> is wizard battle. Um, Season 2 we picked up two years later Where Alistair had joined the Mysterious Tear Society As a field operative uh, Chester was playing Heath O'Sullivan, the Tears captain i guess sorry the uh, the team's captain uh and you were tracing down significant items that were related to the cube which bamfed ernest away uh that trail led you to trying to track down a mysterious masked man who was always trying to beat you to the discovery of these different uh macguffins ernest came back from the dead after a time in the desert with a therapy bird um <laughs> <laughs> um, what else ha- what ha- what mental. else happened in season two? There was a big bat, um, Mighty Duck. Jeremy was there again. Bunch of Wendigo stuff. Oh yeah, the Wendigos happened. You uh, you went and found the most, and uh, Ernest found his brother, who he had assumed to have been killed uh, in a Wendigo attack when he was a boy. Turns out he had been turned into a Wendigo and taken by the pack. So much better. Um, Ernest basically. Just uh, one v one, me bro. One v one, through hands, psychic hands Nerd with battle. the uh, battle with of the brain. You ain't got these bars. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a rap battle with bars. the uh, with the Wendigo chief, and Ernest took control of the pack and led them into Canada like a good boy. And then we followed Alistair for some staff. Alistair got uh, yeah. Alistair almost died by a bunny murderer. Uh, and then Tyr was massively sabotaged by an infiltration and a traitor in their midst on the Council of Tyr, uh, who used a mysterious stone in the very basement of Tyr to bring back Mother into a corporeal body that they had grown in a tank or something. I don't really remember. Um, and Mother, once awake and in a human form, tore Tyr apart. She literally ripped Tyr open. Uh, and killed at least two of the founders. Well, not founders, sorry. Two of the... Round table. Two of the round table. Um, after that, Alistair and Puck were heading back to the archipelago because it was known that uh, that was a significant location and that it would need protecting, while the rest of Tyr tried to regroup. Uh, and we just knew that Alistair was doing that and Ernest was somewhere in Canada with Wendigans.
in a quiet corner of the French Alps, the sun is beginning to dip. Its warm fingers brush the mountains and rest on a lake that is all but hidden in a valley. The valley is a beautiful expanse of rolling grasses, small trees and moss-covered stones. Alone by the water is a bowed and gnarled old oak tree. The lake itself is crystal clear, reflecting the sunset. Walking through the grass, a young woman kneels beside the lake. She looks into it. The still surface is a perfect mirror. Her own face is reflected back. She's young with porcelain skin and eyes that seem to laugh. Slowly and gently, she stretches out a hand over the top of the mirrored surface. And with a single finger, she sends a little ripple dancing across the surface. She leans back from the water and takes a deep breath of the fresh air. Mm. This is perfect. Well, maybe with a little adjustment. She stretches out her hand over the lake yet again. The ripples increase, multiply, until they are swirling, eddying waves lapping at her feet. Then the water begins to recede, draining away into the muddy earth of the lake bed. With another fluid gesture of her hand, the young woman calls on the stones and the earth. The mountains of this hidden valley, the very Alps, begin to groan and creak. Ancient stone cracks and shifts at her voice. The very mountains begin to roll like waves dropping lower and lower. Cascades of earth and stone sweep into the valley, filling the now dry lake, leveling the grasses. The high rough peaks are carved away into three perfect spires of stone. What was once a simple valley is transformed into a smooth, polished stone plateau, impeccably level, brutal in its symmetry. The mountains themselves have lost their crags and have instead formed into a smooth, curved wall of stone, like an amphitheatre. In the centre of all this, the young woman still stands, bare feet on the stone, her dress rippling in the breeze. The only reminder of the valley that once was is the gnarled old oak tree, spared by the catastrophe. She stretches out her hand to touch the aged wood. And as for you, my friend, you shall make a throne fit for a ruler, a ruler of a new realm. Creaking as if tortured, the wood of the oak begins to writhe and thrash, the trunk splitting and reforming, its branches dropping leaves. It bows and bends in on itself until before the young woman is a throne of intricately twisted wood with a high back and a spray of branches reaching like hands to heaven. She seats herself in the throne that seems a little too big for her. As she sits, the branches bud and then burst into delicate white flowers. She takes another deep breath. Now this is really perfect. 
As she contemplates the sunset, a magpie descends from the sky to perch on a twisted branch of her throne. It warbles softly. Well, in that case, send them up. The magpie departs, and before long, a procession begins to climb up to the plateau in the mountains. As they reach the lip, they form rank and file, a royal procession that makes its way to the throne. They are difficult to look at, all of them. Creeping, slinking creatures of nightmare. Twisted and wretched creatures that hide in darkness. They are representatives of Mother's forces, gathered from every corner of the earth. They are the hated ones, the hateful ones. The ones that have haunted mankind for time immemorium. And they bring with them Six boxes, small chests bound in iron. They form in front of Mother a circle, bending and scraping low in front of her on the stone. They present the boxes. One figure steps forward, shrouded in a shabby, moth-eaten, dark robe, a hood covering its head. In a creaking voice, he announces... My lady, gifts from the Lords of the Fae. My apologies, as the six chests are presented to her. Mother slips from the throne, examining the boxes. Each one is made from old timber, intricately worked. Each of them has a different seal upon the ironwork. Six gifts. I wonder what they could be. She selects the one in the centre. At a light touch from her finger, the ironwork snaps and creaks open. Dipping a hand delicately in, she draws a head out by the hair. The head is bandaged and bloody. Long, crushed rabbit ears protrude from the scalp. It is a bloody mess. Well, well, well. My little bunny boy. It seems you failed. The elf lords did not take kindly to you, I see. The mouth creaks and twists as the jaw snaps back into place. My lady, they did not. They sent me as a war offering. Mother tosses the head just slightly in the air. Well, this won't do. I can remake you. A little stronger, perhaps. A little faster. Then I'll send you back. I'll send them my own war offering. She taps her foot on the stone. And the other five crates break open each revealing different sections of the rabbit. With a whistle from her lips, the pieces begin to claw and scratch their way to the centre, reforming, rejoining, ligaments twisting, bones creaking, as she reassembles her creature. And when I am done with you, my little friend, you will be a horror unlike anything they have seen. 
I will send you back to the Fae. And you will level them. And you will bring them to me. She looks out at the sun, dipping down below the mountains. This realm is already mine. But one by one, every layer shall fall. Until I am queen of all. From the twisting, mutilating mass in front of her, the voice of the rabbit man comes. As you wish, my lady. Far away, on a small boat trundling through the South Oceans, Ernest Marsh is sleeping. Tucked into a small bed. Small bed? Cot? One of those ones mounted in a wall. Bunk. Tucked into a small bunk on this little boat, Ernest Marsh uh, tosses in his sleep. Ernest, in your dreams, you are surrounded by dark water, a perfect crystal pool, only a few inches deep, your bare feet barely covered. But something's different. Mist seems to be covering the surface. And as you watch, the mist grows denser and it hangs still. Then above you, you hear the beating of powerful wings. The still, silent water that you stand in begins to ripple, then to eddy and swell, until, Ernest, you are dreaming of rolling and tossing waves. They begin to lap at you, beat at you, push you. You begin to sink. You are knocked and buffeted by waves, and the twisting fog begins to choke you, and in that fog you see figures. What does Ernest see? Ernest sees the figures moving in and out of vision. He sees a great desert turned to glass. And he sees the figures reflected in it. Ernest also sees a dense forest with mushrooms and ferns and all this beautiful foliage backlit by a bushfire that's slowly burning through and devouring the forest. And he looks down and just sees a sea of movement on the ground and as he looks closer you realise there's like hundreds and thousands of white rabbits running away from the fire Ernest sees a shattered lantern a snapped knife and a warhammer broken into chunks as he watches the mist rolls and forms again and Ernest you see a man Sleeping, or maybe dead, he is laying stretched out on a stone plinth, draped in some kind of red cloak or robe, on his chest a broken sword. His face is old and weary, bearded, a circlet like a crown around his forehead. 
Ernest hears the sound of clanking metal as a great titan of iron leers over him with one giant red eye staring at him. And finally, he again feels the rush of the sea and the smell of cold salt water. He looks over through this vision of ocean and waves crashing and he sees a man, a solitary figure, standing on a rock in the middle of the ocean. And he recognises the face of Alistair, but not as he has seen him before. Alistair looks like he could be a hundred years old. He has white hair, long white beard, and you can see he's holding a staff and he's trying to beat back these tentacles that are climbing all over his face. And they eventually take hold of his neck and pull him into the water. And you hear a scream. And as he goes down into the water, it isn't Alistair anymore. But someone Ernest doesn't recognise. But the features are familiar. The features of a family member. Ernest, you wake in a cold sweat. You are... You are clammy and shaking... Uh, you feel nauseous and sick. You can smell seaweed and grease, diesel fumes. Uh, you can hear the crashing of waves against the bow of this small rinky-dink ship that you have chartered. If chartered is the right word. Perhaps stole from an abandoned port is closer to the truth. There wasn't anyone there. <laughs> uh, you hear humming from above you on the top deck. And it begins to turn into tapping and then foot stamping. Uh, Swings his legs out of the bed and he uh, gets to his feet, he rubs his face and he snatches up his bomber cap and he jams on his head and he picks up a slightly different coat to the one he had before. This is, once again, uh, it's more in line with a Paddington-style coat with, like, the wooden buttons, but it's a bit shorter. His last one was about knee uh, length. This one's about mid-thigh height. I, I believe they're called toggles, Chester. Uh, no, wooden wooden bits. Um, uh, he, Sticks, please. <laughs> he, he chucks it on and he pulls the hood of it over onto his bomber cap because his bomber cap isn't waterproof or anything like that. Um, it's probably pretty worn now as well. Yeah, uh, and he looks, uh, he pulls it open slightly and he sees where like it would typically have like the name of the, the company that makes it. It has a name written on it and it says, From Mum and Dad. And he smiles before closing it back up, his new jacket that he got for Christmas. And he puts, the, uh, puts on all the buckles and puts back on his shoes and pushes out into the, the weather. You would be kind of uh, pushing up, uh, pushing up? a okay. small flight of sort of somewhere between stairs and a ladder, you know how they do, uh, up into the, the, the top section of this very small ship. Uh, this is a tiny fishing trawler. Uh, and as you poke your head up, you can see at the controls uh, a very familiar figure, your brother Edgar, who you have uh, brought with you on this mission. Edgar is much changed from when you found him in the mountains in America, in Slate Ridge. Uh, there he was, skinny and... Uh, he looked... 
aged and underfed. His hair was long and lank. His face was sort of hollow and bony. And he was wearing sort of torn clothes that looked like they had been travelling for for months. Hmm. Edgar now uh, is wearing hiking boots with long knitted socks uh, and short cargo shorts. Uh, They are tan coloured with a very heavy belt. Uh, He is wearing a uh, shirt tucked in and a denim jacket. uh, And his head is uh, shaved, almost buzz cut, short. uh, So the sort of blonde, yeah, blonde buzz cut sort of hair. Uh, And he is tapping his foot as he is humming, uh, looking out at the rolling waves. Um, Just to describe Ernest, Ernest uh, is wearing bright yellow Converse. Uh, with white nice. socks, and the white socks are pulled up like really high. They're like to mid calf <laughs> height. You can't see him because he's wearing like um, just normal pants. Uh, his hair isn't the long it was before, but isn't the short he had in season one. It's kind of like this middle length. It's like just past his ears. Type of Sort of like what Chester's got right now. Is it? I have mine sweep back. His guy kind of goes to the side, parts in the middle. It's kind of like um, thanks for that description for people yeah. listening. It's kind of like really audio content. To describe it, it's like it's a bit like Prince Charming's in Shrek's, like that part in the <laughs> oh, middle, yeah, yeah, type yeah, of yeah. thing. Uh, and Ernest doesn't look like he's aged a day. Mm-hmm. So he's it looking... has been two, two years. years. Yep, since and Ernest uh, left Slate Ridge with the Wendigos. Yep. What has he been doing for two years in Canada? Oh, he's been doing a lot. Uh, he's going to start uh, clapping in time to Edgar's going. Gonna, Edgar looks and, over his shoulder. And we're riding along on the crest of a wave and the sun is in the sky. There's the red eyes on the distant horizon and the passers by. little wave just like hits them both in the face. Yeah, you realise that... Edgar had like turned from what he was doing and started like clapping along, and the boat starts to list it a little. Uh, he, he, is it just the two of us? <laughs> it's just the two of us. <laughs> and he just turns around and grabs, grabs the controls again. It's like, mm. uh, maybe don't distract me uh, quite as much. Uh, good morning. Good you morning. You look. Uh, did you sleep? I did. You don't look like it. I look dashing. A perfect eight hours. Ah, you go. Know, shifts like. Sorry. <laughs> I'll keep. I'll, uh, I'll. I'll keep looking at what I'm doing. Okay, um, so Ernest has been rehabilitating the Wendigos in the only way he knows how, through musical therapy, camping trips, uh, that type of stuff. Capture the flag. Capture the flag, paper mache evening classes. Uh, He reads to them every night. What has he been reading to them? Uh, he's been reading through Narnia with them. They've been Ooh. enjoying that. Uh, what about, they've, been, um, they've been asking for Lord of the Rings. He doesn't think they're ready for Lord of the Rings. Maybe the Famous Five? Oh, definitely the Famous Five. They loved uh, the one where they go on. They spend. They um. They hate their the like the aunt and uncle they're living with. So they go and stay on the island. And mm-hmm. there are like uh, there are bootleggers on the island, and they're camping on there. And they find this little cave, and they've been loving that. Um, yeah, he's not sure if they're ready for Lord of the Rings yet because he also hasn't read Lord of the Rings, so he has to proofread it before. So is, there any, is there any is there any cannibalism in this? Because that could trigger some things. <laughs> You've got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edgar is kind of proof of Ernest's methods of as the Alpha. You can't um, you can't break the curse essentially that is on these people as Wendigos, but you can. Draw them back to the humanity that is left, and Edgar is evidence of this. Edgar, he's still fairly thin. He still looks a little underfed, but he doesn't look as rough as he once did. 
um, and he is certainly far more himself. There are moments when you might catch him uh, staring into the middle distance and contemplating something, and he looks uh, pale and serious and rather withdrawn. But mm. for the most part, you've been finding that just treating the Wendigos like humans helps them to remember that they once were and part of them still is human. Mm. And Ernest has left uh, the rest of the Wendigos under Darnell's care while he's gone because, uh, as Darnell uh, said to Heath, Darnell is much more terrifying and powerful than anything they are. So Ernest has left them, even though he's not the uh, Darnell isn't the alpha, he knows that Darnell can at least keep them in line. Yes. Because there are some of them that are still... Uh, difficult and start mm-hmm. fights but most of them are doing generally pretty well especially in mercy's creek where they've been given like their own houses and their own space and their own like mm-hmm. privacy which is different to a normal pack thing where they're all livering and festering off each other some of them have taken the battle at the end of prince caspian a little bit too much to heart <laughs> just just a little bit mm-hmm. um yeah when us came out one night and they're doing a quote-unquote mock battle <laughs> right. like, just, i don't no i do not like this Pretty sure this is a brawl. Hugo is still the worst of them. He mm-hmm. still goes out on hunts, and Nurse Knightley has to go out after him. Uh, but he also has now recruited a lot more help back at Mercy's Creek, uh, including the um, the son of Mark Harlow, who is now the acting uh, what's the term Sher- uh, sheriff in the area, the acting son of Mark Harlow, the acting sheriff in the area. So they mm-hmm. are. He has a lot more reinforcements than he had before. Cool. Very good. Now, Ernest and Edgar have been travelling for how many months now? I think we were thinking like four months. No, like four months. You've been making your way cross-country uh, from Canada as chaos in the wake of Mother's reemergence has gripped the world. Uh, communication and international travel have slowed down almost to a dead halt. Uh, people are afraid... Governments are locking down and refusing to help anyone but themselves. It's a very tense state in the world. You have travelled as best you can, uh, sometimes by foot, sometimes by car. You have made your way out of Canada, down across America, uh, and you have hopped your way now to where you are, heading from the mainland of Australia out towards the archipelago. You don't quite know how far away you are at this stage. You're hoping not very far. You try to recall to yourself um, the trips on the ferry that took you here, and it was only about a two-night stay, and you have just woken up from the second night. But Mm. you're also not entirely sure that you're heading in the right direction. Edgar, what does the compass say? Uh, The compass says what the compass always says, which is north, south, east, and west. Thank you, Edgar. I mean, which direction are we going in? Uh, southeast, as always. This comes up and looks at Look, it. I've got the coordinates sure. that you gave me. This is mm. the map. I drew a smiley face. That's where we're heading. This thing, this place is barely on the map. Are you sure? Look, um... Edgar, the compass is full of water. It's like trying to, It like, was always like that. It out. <laughs> It was like that before, and I'm pretty sure water doesn't change magnetics. I don't know. That's all that. <laughs> uh, now, what do you make of that? Why is he licking the water? I was trying to suck it out. <laughs> uh, don't do that. That's that's unhygienic. <laughs> do you know if you ate a coin, you'd have every disease known to man? 
Um, that sounds like a BuzzFeed fact, Ernest. Well, BuzzFeed's one of the only used things offering still. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only one that has enough money. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, see, my, my concern is not eating coins. My concern is that. He's he's kind of trying to draw your attention yes, multiple yes. times. Okay, yes. Well, what am I looking at? What am I looking at? Where are you pointing? Uh, talk you are looking at a talk, talk to me here. Talk to me. You are looking at a fog bank that is rolling in that uh, you cannot see beyond. We found it. <laughs> nice job. Nice job. And he puts up his hand. We found it. Is that what it's meant to be? Come on. Okay. Come on. Five. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. It's um, usually foggy. How do we not? crash into the islands then well they use and he's like peering out there is a uh, lighthouse. lighthouse thank you voice in my head You're there's welcome. a lighthouse mm -hmm. I don't see the light I don't see anything but the fog mm. um, also do you mind if you take over for a minute because I desperately need to use the bathroom okay you go oh He's like walking up to Charles. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, Just, I got it. I, yeah, okay. Yeah, I got it. Uh, Edgar heads below decks. Uh, Where's the wheel? Where's <laughs> the round bit? Where's the round? He's like looking you at the have, different thing. Edgar has not been driving the entire <laughs> way. Yeah, this has been bullshitting for other times when he was meant to go. Mm -hmm. The wheel. He's like opening the cabinet underneath it. Where's the wheel? All right, Ernest, as you are here, you, uh, you have a minute or two to yourself. Uh... And you are trying to push those memories of your dream back. You tend to do this every time you sleep now. These sort of dreams uh, cling to you. And you can't seem to separate your dreams from the dreaming as much as you have tried. Uh, as you are staring out the... I'm going to say window. I don't really know what you would call it. Uh, you are watching this fog bank uh, as you draw closer. And you begin to make out a shape in the fog. Erst peers at it and kind of assumes it's probably a rock and he reaches behind him and he pulls out uh, a small book from the back pocket and he starts to flick through it and the book has many different titles of different sections. He passes by uh, Mr. Bates, Ilios, and he comes through towards, towards the end of the book and he comes to an area called the Desert. And he peers it open, and he has a line of information that was given to him by different people in the desert. And he comes back to a word that he had circled. Storm. And he looks up and kind of watches the fog as it surrounds him, and he remembers the terrible sandstorm that was gripping a particular area of the desert. As you watch, Ernest... <clears throat> that shape that you had thought was a rock uh, begins to grow. It grows and grows as you get closer. You, you begin... Starts trying to, steer, trying to work out how to steer away from you, it. You begin to crane your head down to try and find the top of it as you get closer, and you just keep craning down. Down and down and down as this shape in the fog seems to rise forever. You realise that this shape is not moving. Okay. You it's are, not coming towards me. You are getting closer and the fog is parting around this shape. Uh, make an intelligence check for me. Oh, hell yeah. I'm hella I'm hella. First roll of the season. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Six. <laughs> That's 
It's not too bad. Um, That's because I got a plus four to intelligence. Oh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> You're squinting. And what you begin to make out is that that's that's I a like big rock. That's a big rock. And you're like, hey Edgar. No, no, you're like, that that wasn't there before. Oh, this is this is a incredible monolith of black obsidian stone in the middle of the sea. You are unless you are very very lost. This wasn't here last time you came to the archipelago. Did I sleep through this? Um, and he's like, clapping. Am, am I still dreaming? Is this part of the- You start <laughs> craning your head to look. This thing has to be a hundred meters wide. Right. It's a square pillar of stone, uh, and the waves break against it. Ernest gra- like, grabs the book back open and flicks through, and he's trying to like find the different things he's seen of his visions of Ilios. And he comes back to one of the parts of stuff that he'd seen from Dylan. And he runs out, he's going to run out to it, and he's going to try and get as close as he can to it and see. I want to inspect it. Inspect? I want to inspect it. That. Uh, 11. Is it the same stuff that the cube was made of? You look, it is very hard to tell. The cube was strange. The cube... It's hard to tell, but what you do see is not what you're looking for. What you do see is that carved deep into this monolithic stone are patterns, Mm -hmm. runes in languages that you have never seen before. It's like nothing else. And you see that this pillar is carved into the shape of a figure, tall and imposing. You see repeated again and again the deep carved pattern feathers and as you look up the mist clears and the clouds part just long enough for you to get the sense of a face a face smooth and impassive and unmistakable this is a monolithic statue of Carrion, the shepherd of the desert And Ernest, as you are gazing up at this familiar figure etched in stone immemorium, you hear, almost as a a trick, you hear the distant beating of wings. And you wonder for a moment whether this is some trick of memory. And as you turn, looking over your shoulder, you see a large shadow descending through this fog that begins to rise and thicken back around the ship. Emerging from the fog, wings spread out wider than the span of the boat. Ernest, you see Carrion, the shepherd of the desert, in the flesh, as he alights on the top of the boat. He ruffles his feathers and tucks his wings until he looks again like a tall, thin human in a cape of black feathers. He descends to the deck 
He towers above you, head and shoulders taller than you, Ernest, and you stare up at him. His face is not so impassive now. You can see lines of worry and of exhaustion etched into his skin. He is considering you with large, thoughtful eyes. And he says, Hello, Pilgrim. It's good to see you, Ernest. He looks up at the disappearing shape of the pillar that is now being swallowed by the mist. I am sorry that I could not come to see you on a better occasion. Unfortunately, Ernest, this is the time for hardship, and it is the time for honesty. You are going into a deeply, deeply perilous place. And there are things that I must tell you before you enter. Meanwhile, as you are having this conversation, uh, Edgar is inside the cabin of the boat. He is brewing tea and pouring it into a little uh, beaten copper pot and he is assembling a little tray and as he shuffles his way through the little galley and up the narrow stairs he emerges and sees you and this huge bird figure through the window of the uh, the bridge of this small boat uh, and Ernest you kind of see Edgar tap on the glass warily and creak open the door Carrion ruffles his feathers. He has delivered the message that it was incumbent upon him to deliver. He turns to you one last time. I am sorry, Ernest. Travel well, Pilgrim. And with that, he spreads his enormous wings and takes off from the deck of the ship, rocking the boat as he does so. He disappears quickly into the fog, and you are left earnest in the slightly rocking boat while Edgar holds the tray of tea. Ernest? Who is your big bird friend? Ernest is like looking up after him. And is he coming back? Is he still going back inside? He's gone back inside again. <laughs> okay, bye. Takes a sip of the tea. Make a perception check for me. Yeah. <laughs> Did Carrion poison the tea? Uh, 14. 14. You are standing at the edge of the, the deck. You are kind of leaning on the, the railing. And the, the fog has thickened around you again. But with a 14, you almost feel more than you see as a dark shadow slips underneath the boat. It's very long, very large. Your mind is drawn back to years ago. The split fin. You see this shadowy presence underneath the water and you feel 
it affect the movement of the waves as the ship rides over. And you see another, and another, and another, and another. That's not good. <laughs> All right. How do I appease them? <laughs> is there anything? Sips tea. Sips tea. <laughs> is there anything you would like to do, Ernest? Uh, Ernest is going to go to the the very front of the ship and look out, and he's going to open up his book again and kind of page through it. And he's going to look at his different theories about what's going on. And he's going to look around. He's like, well, I have theories and all that, but I guess. I think Carrion might be right to a degree. It's probably not any help to focus on them too much. He snaps it closed. We'll come to that, but... Now... He's like looking down the water. Now is for the troubles ahead. Uh, the fog again begins to move and part, and almost without warning, you realise that you are barely 100 metres away from a small island. Uh... Uh, uh. Out. Um, land. Where? Here. That's not helpful. I can't. I can't see. He's like trying to fit. You're in the way. Break. There aren't breaks. Turn. Which way? Left. He starts heading towards the small island. No. <laughs> Your other left. Uh, such like gesturing with his arms. <laughs> that way! That right. way! You barely skim past one of these small islands on the outskirts of the archipelago. There's a bit of a, um, bit of a scrape. Yeah, there's a little bit of a scrape of sand. Uh, no, you know what would be funny is if we do the exact same thing that happened in season one. The boat like comes in and just starts to sink in the port. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, you are... It's very strange because the there is no sound. The fog is so dense that sound is not working. You can hear the trundle of the diesel motor of the ship. You can hear the slap, slap, slap of the waves against the prow of the boat. Um, but you can hear nothing else at all. And here and there, masses of land, just clumps of dark trees and shoreline emerge from the fog. But the fog remains so dense that you cannot tell how big the island is, which part of it you're seeing, it's almost hard to tell how close it is. It is so dense that your navigation, you slow to a crawl. You almost might as well be paddling at this stage as you begin to wind your way in and in and in. You're just hoping that you're heading in the right direction at this stage. Before long, Ernest, to your right, uh, a another cliff of rock rises out of the fog and you can see the lighthouse you can see the the large sign that's mounted on the rock near the lighthouse it says welcome to port staples but you can see that uh the lighthouse uh, light itself the windows at the top are smashed and gone and chunks of masonry seem to be missing from its base uh, you proceed forwards. You now have a pretty good idea of where you must be, even if you can't see the port. And then slowly, you begin to hear something grinding against the bottom of the ship. And as you look down, you can see the mast of a submerged ship scraping, boat scraping against the hull of yours. And as you enter Port Staples, 
you can see dozens of sunk ships. Edgar, everything just got intense. Uh, you are heading. You are trying to hug the one of the walls of the of the port where you where the ferry would normally turn up, and you can see the sunken ferry right right in next to the land, and it's just like descended down. Its roof is still above water level. I feel kind of stupid for having us wait that day, waiting for the ferry to arrive. Um, but yeah, you can see that this the port is just a graveyard of destroyed ships. There's uh, rust and rubbish in the water. Um, bits of timber smashed, tree branches and things that are clogged and caught in them. Uh, you kind of skirt your way around the worst of it and you kind of have to carefully negotiate until you pull up at the pier where somewhat near where the... Um, the ferry would normally arrive. And you can see Port Staples. Uh, or rather, you can see a fog wall almost everywhere, 20 metres a, fr- a front of you. A front? Ahead. <laughs> it's a front. <laughs> it's a front of fog. Ernest strokes his chin as I'm guessing Edgar like comes over and Ernest is going to lower down the... I guess we have an anchor or something. Lower down the anchor so we don't like shift around too much. It's going to like latch onto another part of a ship that's down there. You you're close enough to the pier that you could you could tie it to the pier. Oh, tie to the pier. Okay, yeah. And we'll jump onto and start tying the pier. Like, you remember when we played um, Silent Hill Two? Mm, and I um, had to not look at it most of the time. Yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but a little bit, a little bit uh, uh, triggering. Yeah. Uh, and he's like looking at the town that's just completely drenched in fog. You can't see the town at all. You, oh. can't, you can't even see the warehouses here. This is uh, this is giving me vibes, my dude. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you said that this place was, I think, and I quote, a bit run down? I think, I, the, term, I think the, the terminology I used was, uh, it was like a, a mall Santa. It was jolly but run down. Hmm, and poss- possibly high? <laughs> I don't remember that part, but I, I remember the jolly part. Okay. Um, Jolly but dirty. Well, this probably does explain why maybe there's not a lot of communication coming in as he's looking at the graveyard of ships. <laughs> so... Um, Ursus would like to just roll and see if I can see the blinking light of the radio tower on, mm-hmm. top, of, on the, like, the top of the mountain, see if that's blinking. Sure. Two... Is that intelligence? What would that be? Just for sight? No, it'd just be a base roll. Two. Uh, you, you can't see anything through the fog. Hmm... Uh, are you, I, my eyes. <laughs> are you disembarking? Yeah, I'm off. I'm on the... All right. The... Uh, Edgar throws down. You have a duffel bag each, mostly of spare clothes. Uh, Thank you. Edgar begins to pack a backpack with the tinned food that you've brought with you. Yeah, we'll pack all that sort of stuff. Ernest will jump back, actually, on and head under uh, into the little like cab part of it. And he's going to grab something from underneath the uh, bunk and is a big bundle that's wrapped up in towels and he's going to strip away the towels to reveal a lantern mm-hmm. a bright yellow lantern and he is going to fetch up a piece of rope pull out his pocket knife and cut it off and lash uh, the lantern over his shoulder so it's sitting in like the small of his back mm-hmm. with a rope over it okay alright you disembark is that everything that you were wanting to do? Uh, I think that's just about everything uh, Ernest is going to <laughs> take the keys out of the boat and go boop, boop. 
Uh, it does. Anyway, uh, the two of you are standing. The two of you are standing on the pier as, as Ernest is trying to boop, 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 lock. And there is a there is a groan, and the ropes kind of strain as the boat itself just begins. As you you see something uh, green and slimy with uh, a weird kind of many jointed hand, just sort of comes out of the water and engulfs the back of the ship and begins to drag it down and the ropes snap one by one until your ship is gone. Uh, this is going. Uh, it goes to stand there like the SpongeBob Patrick just after, into at the, the fog. At, like the SpongeBob Patrick at the the pit and is staring there. And I was like, "I'll keep the key. Just stick that in his pocket." Well, I um, I guess we're not leaving now. It, it's nice that it waited. <laughs> I do like a polite sea behemoth. Mm. There's a lot more of them than there used to be. I'm going to go over here for a minute. Okay, uh, Edgar, like. He's, he's got on his back. He moves yeah. away, yeah. and he—you realize that he's kind of—he's making his way, and you realize to the um, the community notice board, which is sort of inside a little a little lean-to, almost like a bus. Yeah, it's a little stop, tin roof thing. Tin roof thing. Waited there. He he like goes into the corner, puts his head like into the corner, and starts like deep breathing. Remember to say the uh, the positive affirmations. You'll be right. I don't like the positive affirmations. Positive affirmations makes you feel. Ow, my hand makes you feel good. He like bangs his hand on the part of the, of the rusty uh, railing. Rusty like. railing. Ow. All right, Ernest, what are you doing? Ernest is going to put his hands on his hips, and he is going to forsake. He's going to put his hand up to his like just above his eyes, like he's looking out, and he's going to look around. What can I see? Roll. I'm going to squint through the mist. <laughs> <laughs> Roll Four. <for> <laughs> Mm. Uh, you begin to make out as you kind of begin to wander. You begin to make out more of the um, the Just warehouses. Some, some salty water in there. Yeah, th- these are the warehouses that would normally be for processing fish and some of those things. Uh, I think the last time you were here before you left, they were beginning to actually kind of re-outfit some of them as yeah. things were improving uh, fishing-wise. And you can see now that there is very little left of them. Um, some of them are stripped down almost to the frames. Uh, two of them are collapsed entirely. Uh, right. You can actually see a ship inside the collapse, like as in it has been thrown and has crushed two of the um, two of the warehouses. Good. I'm just going to stroke his chin. I'm going to taste the mist. Is it salty? Yes. Uh, ocean mist. I think there may have been some type of tsunami or tysoon. Not <laughs> sure what the second word is. Tysoon. Typhoon? Do you mean typhoon, typhoon or tsunami? Tycoon? Some type of... Tysoon. <laughs> I think some the water has been thrown onto the island through some type of storm. And, uh... Well, that would explain the ship. Yeah, explain the ship and explain the salty air. This thick air. I can't see because of the thick air. It would explain this. Edgar is pointing at, um, like, the tail end of some kind of sea creature. And it's, like, four metres long, this rotting hunk of sea creature flesh. That's just seaweed. It smells like meat. It's like very I think it's red meat too. 
bleeding and scaled. Like, it's like rotting and infested with maggots and flies. And this is going to walk over to it. Mm. Look, I'm just going to say this now, and I hope to be proven wrong. I would like to be proven wrong. I think this place might be a dump. Yeah, missed turn second turn. Wasn't good. All right, well, how do we find your friend? Do we... I'll just light a flare. <laughs> That's why I was pocket. He always comes when I light a flare. And this is, got, and this is like t- uh, tossing the flare. Um, and he's going to like pause okay. for a second and like look up a bit. My son. What? My son. My son. Hemingway. Oh, I thought you were my starting a My pumpkin boy. No. Fortunate shit. Oh, son, my son. Uh, um, well, well, my son, my son. Um, I don't remember. Wherefore art, um, wherefore art thou, my son? You can't rhyme son with son. Um, anyway, uh, this is going. If Pitbull can rhyme Kodak with Kodak, yeah, we're not Pitbull. True enough. We have too much hair. Um, okay, Ernest is going to take a few steps up the the main street. I want to see if I can see the like the what was my office. That's a ways up. Oh, you that's would have a ways to go up. For a walk. Okay, I thought that was close to the. Point. So, well, Alistair's old house was on the top of the thingy thing. The top of the town. Top of the town. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, and he's like looking around. He's like, I'm not sure if he would see the flare from here. Let's go onto the roof of something. Let's go onto the roof of one of the buildings. I know a place. Uh, he's going to start walking up. He's going to try and get to the staircase that goes up to his little office. All area. right. As interesting. Uh, I wasn't expecting this. As you enter the main street, it becomes harder and harder to justify your monsoon theory. Ah. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> my my theory is incorrect. How could this be? How could this be? He's such a what? beefy brain boy. Um, what you see... He's so smooth brain. What the you ideas see, run yeah, past. Um, is that you kind of get up there. As you remember, the first shop building on the main street uh, is the Kingfish Pub on yep. the left. Uh, there are lights on. Ooh. There is music coming out the door. Uh, you can hear the, the chatter of voices. And... Uh, and you can hear the creak of the kingfish sign moving slightly in the breeze, a sort of hanging sign. Uh, but the rest of the town, as you're looking around, there are broken windows. There is junk strewn across it. Uh, there are cars abandoned in the streets. Okay. Ernest is going to pause here, and he's going to pocket the flare again. And he's going to reach around and pull out his trusty taser. <laughs> okay. And he's going to stare at it, and he's going to kind of grab Edgar by the shoulder and pull him in. That's not right. Um, <laughs> like, which which part of it is not right? Just looking around. Okay. You go in the back. I'll go in the front. No, that's not a good idea. I go in the back. You go in the front. I think we both go in the front. Oh, we both go in the front. That's not sneaky. Because uh, you, he pokes you in the in the tummy. It's like, uh, are a little marshmallow, and you are going to get killed the moment I leave your side. Marshmallows are squishy. They can take a hit. He pokes you again. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> Case in point. Well, that's different. You poke him with your nail. It hurts. 
Edgar just starts walking towards the front doors. That which are like sneaky. The, the, which are like there's like obviously double doors that properly close, but it's got like the cowboy style <laughs> swinging front doors. It always has. Fine. Urs is going to try and find a bin, like a, a bin, like just a wheelie bin. Yeah, there's a there's one upended on the sidewalk. Yep. Urs is going to grab it. It's like fine. I'll chuck this. Chucking what? He, uh, Edgar turns around. Making an entrance. He chucks it through the door. <laughs> okay. Roll physical for me. Got a bit of five. Ten. It doesn't bounce off. You hurl it. All right. um, Okay. How to explain this? (laughs) Ernest, you hurl this bin. Edgar turns around and goes, what? And then ducks, flattens himself to the ground to avoid this bin, which uh, I'm thinking Australian. Yeah. General waste bin. Queerly bin. It's quite large. It's a wheelie bin. Uh, You hurl it, like, bodily. Uh, When it hits... When it looks as if it is just about to hit the front doors, it like goes through the swinging cowboy double doors. Mm-hmm. And then there is a creak and a groan of wood and teeth descend from the door frame yes. and from the floor and snap shut on the wheelie bin, snapping it as the entire building begins to rumble and creak and the doors open again into jaws and you can see the two shutters shuttered windows above uh in the second story open and begin to shine light out of them as this entire building begins to uproot itself from the pavement edgar is standing like on the porch bit of it as this whole thing is moving he's like um this is why i said go in the back he's gonna i'm gonna run try and grab edgar and pull him away and make this check i don't like that idea anymore all right so you you grab Edgar around the waist you haul him um, and you begin running together where are you running are you heading for your office Uh, you begin running you are uh, dodging left and right to avoid just miscellaneous things more wheelie bins more wheelie bins cars that have been left in the street bicycles um, discarded bits of building the building itself has uprooted it is scrambling with many legs and uh, protruding arms that are gripping into the sidewalk, the cars that are shoving things out of the way. This thing is shaking the ground as it roars, and the roar has uh, a tinge of tinkling piano and (laughs) clinking (laughs) bottles about it, um, as it seems to be almost shedding bits of timber as it goes, almost like a skin. He's doing like these big motion runs and he's just going like, uh, this, uh, this dispels one of my other theories. The, uh, the uh, tsunami idea is, uh, is fading quickly. Uh, all right, Edgar is like grabbing you by the collar and hauling you faster as he is speeding up. No talking running. It's not my fault I don't have Wendigo speed. All right, it is. Uh, all right, make, actually, what's your armor class? My armor class is seven. All right, uh, uh, one of these strange... We're going to say limbs, even though it's very hard to describe what I'm thinking of. Lashes out and uh, flicks a car into a shop front, uh, missing you by a meter. All right, as you make it to your building... Yeah! Um, it crashes and careens into another as it sort of skids to a stop. This thing is the size of a building... And it is bearing down on you. What are you going to do? Um, well, from my memory, there's a very small alleyway mm-hmm. between them. So just going to go in there. All right. You I doubt, uh, unless it's strong enough to break another building. 
The danger getting into a, another like another higher area is you could jump on top, and getting through a roof would be easier than getting through two walls, basically. Right. Well, so you, you dash into this into your little alleyway. Would your bike? <laughs> your bike is gone. What? Um, Let's <laughs> pulls out another key, but I kept the key. <laughs> um, and you are looking at this thing as it begins to reach its many little arms into the no. into the space. No, no. <laughs> it can't quite reach you, and then it just begins scraping and scrabbling and tearing chunks of masonry out of the corner of the building. It's basically digging its way into you. Uh, Edgar is like hyperventilating. He's like, um, Ernest, I think we need to move. I just got to turn to Edgar. Like, in and out. This is not okay. And in. This is not okay. If you can't calm yourself at the worst of times, then something about the uh, best of times. A, <laughs> with a 15, uh, Edgar punches you in the throat. <laughs> Stop talking, Ernest. Oh, we don't, God. We don't re- uh, react in anger. <laughs> that's <laughs> the, that never solves a situation. Edgar has gone pale. He is looking at the building. It has stopped scrabbling as it realizes that it can't fit the bulk of the Kingfish pub down this alleyway. But it is beginning to break its way out of the building shell that it is inhabited. It is this many faceted insectoid mm-hmm. fish crab creature mm-hmm. that is peeling itself out the front door it's literally a giant hermit crab that's so cool peeling itself out the front door of the kingfish pub and it while you don't really know what it is or what its shape is seems to be malleable enough to squish its way down the alleyway after you and as you watch uh, a tongue with these sort of barbs and bristles on it begins to lash, flicking like a whip out at you. Now, Edgar, the positive—you can always take a positive from this. It is shedding its armor. See, we're 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 a step ahead. It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. We've made it weak. All right, but he's like patting you on the shoulders, like that really hurt. Okay, like a lot. <laughs> um, at that point. Ernest, the tongue lashes out and hits you with a natural 12. All right. Uh, and you take 18 points of damage. Oh. Okay. And you feel some kind of toxin oh, no. like begin to creep into your body. And it's like your depth perception starts to become fuzzy. No, As you, why, why are you walking away? Basically, <laughs> basically, you are hit so hard in the chest that you crash backwards into the, the, uh, like, um, the fire stairwell. Mm-hmm. You are hurled back into it. There is a roar from Edgar and a splitting sound as Edgar begins to transform. And then the situation is interrupted. So as this tongue is like recoiling and getting ready to strike again at Edgar as he's transforming, you just hear a... And you look up to see the tongue is like pinned against the wall of one of the buildings with a dagger sticking out of it, a curved dagger with a ring handle. And you just take a second to... What? Where, where did that come from? Because there's... Your there's eyes just... are like, one is enlarging <laughs> while the other gets smaller and then it begins to swap as you're trying to focus. And this is like staring like, is that, is that a sword or a toothpick? I can't tell. 
And then as you're sta staring at it, and you're not quite sure if it's maybe the fact that your vision's not so good as it was a second ago, you just see... My eyesight isn't as good as it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> so suddenly, a figure materializes, holding the blade of the knife, pushing it deeper into the wall, with like both hands around it, wrapping, stabbing this thing into the wall. And suddenly there's a man dressed in black standing in front of you, holding this tongue back. You have anything you want to react in any way? And this is going to rub his eyes a little bit. Huh? All right, you hear a clatter. Um, Dagon? <laughs> you hear a clatter along the roof of running feet and then uh, a shout, up as uh, another figure just careens out of nowhere, seemingly jumping from the roof of your building, crashes both feet first into like the snout front face of this creature, shoves something in its mouth and pushes backwards off. Uh, the figure who's holding the knife into the tongue pulls it out, like tries to grab you and the other two and like push you back. He's like, time to go. Nancy? Uh, as you, as you uh, drag the two back, this second figure rolls backwards and puts up, uh, seems to pull out of nowhere some kind of dark riot shield type of thing up and shouts, Clip! <clears throat> and there's an explosion in the face of this creature. Smoke goes everywhere. Yellow powder uh, begins bursting out of it and it howls again with this tinkling sound of glass and piano and chandelier and creaking wood and recoils back into its shell and begins scrambling away. I never liked that pub. Urs is like looking back and it's like his eyes are starting to like it's like it's no longer doing the ear now, but he still like can't tell much depth. And it's like I always liked that pub. Ernest at this point, the figure who had the riot shield, you your eyes are going in and out, the fog and the smoke and the noise, your ears are kinda of yeah. ringing from the explosion. You just feel uh two hands grab you by like the, the front of your shirt. Ed, you get why are you being so around. mean to me today? You get swung around. <laughs> And thump, you are smacked face down into the bonnet of a car uh, on the sidewalk. Uh, your arm is like pinned behind your back in a half Nelson. Randy, and I swear to God! <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, all you can see is just... Uh, is Edgar still in Wendigo form? Edgar was like half transformed. Uh, but the explosion has really kind of rattled him and he's been knocked down yep. and so he's back to human. He's As he's getting up to his foot, he's just like grabbed from behind with this this figure with the knife just puts it across his neck and like pushes him in, like face first into a wall. He's like, all right, we're going to have a little chat. And he's like, um, could you please not? Um, we've, just because I feel like this is just the first thing uh, this is probably going to do. He's going to do with a nat twelve a mental attack on who's touching him. Sure, fair enough. Uh, all right. What does a mental attack look like, Jason? Uh, Ernest is going to uh, twist so he's making eye contact and say, "Bang," and make their mind think that they've been shot in the knee. Ooh. All right. Is there any kind of save for this? Uh, with a natural twelve, and that's not including my arcane or intelligence. So with my intelligence, that'd be sixteen. 
or <laughs> I'm not sure we'll if you would get We'll have to work out like a, a spell save type have of mechanic. To, yeah. We'll figure that out um, later. But yes, with that roll, you just hear a cry as the figure lets go of you and kind of drops to one knee uh, uh, behind you. Okay, and this is going to spin up, pulling the lantern and make direct eye contact with who's holding Edgar. Uh as you do that, though, you have to make a make a physical roll for me. Sure, yeah. I'm wondering about this poison. <laughs> uh, 11 physical? It's uh, an unnatural 12. All right. Uh, you, as you kind of turn around, just something in basic instincts just makes you duck slightly and lean your shoulder down as what seems like um, a, almost like a sledgehammer just swings through the air past your head and buries itself in the bonnet of the car from the person who's you've just mentally assaulted apparently <laughs> missed me <laughs> as you like prance forward towards whoever's got Edgar he just pulls it back and just punches him right in like the base mm, of the skull okay. to just knock him out alright uh, you I should roll for that roll for, but yep okay uh, 10 plus 3 alright he kind of slumps he isn't quite unconscious but he's sort of debilitated for the moment uh, Ernest, you are facing this figure. What describe the figure for us, BJ? So, Ernest, you, you've between your vision and your head rushing, and the adrenaline from ooh, nearly got decapitated there, uh, and the mist. You just see this figure dressed in um, all black, a long black coat that seems to come down like past their knees. Um, you can make out long hair that's maybe tied back, but you can't really make out any facial features with the distance you're at. And you see, as you see uh, Edgar like slumped to the ground, you see this figure turn on you with the knife and start advancing forward. Nurse is going to snap his finger and ignite the lantern in his hand, which is going to bathe the area in a creamy yellow glow. With the extra light from your lantern, and also that helps to clarify your vision a little bit, you see... Think it can't be possible for a second, but you see the face of Alistair Stone. And he looks much older. Ernest paused for a second, not fully trusting his eyes. Mayor Stern? Ernest? Alistair? Edgar! <laughs> no, <laughs> no we're, not, we're, not, we're not doing that. <laughs> and he, like, Squints at you, he's like, why are you so young? Why are you so old? And then he pushes past you. He's like, Puck, are you all right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you hear as you turn around, Ernest, uh, the figure who was, had attacked you uh, has like a foot up on the, the grill of the car as they're trying to yank the hammer, the kind of... Uh, Sledge hammer, war hammer, out of the uh, the bonnet of the car. Yeah, it turns around and starts like winding up again. That's all right, Ernest. What did you do to it? Oh, sorry. And he's going to snap his finger again and remove the like the, the infl- like the attack on the mind that's making her think that like feel like she's been shot there. Okay. She kind of pauses in her wind up, like, well, that's a neat trick. You're going to have to show me that one. And she's going to move forward again. Alistair's, Alistair's joining her. He's he's not happy either. He's like, turns the knife on you again. Not in a threatening way, but just in a like, ready. And he's like, how'd you get here? 
Ernest is going to lower the lantern, put it back so it's like in the small of his back. Uh, and so it's still bathing the whole area. And it's like, uh, well, uh, excuse me for a second. And he's going to look at his brother and like pat him on the face. He's like, did you? Uh, He'll be all right. Uh, he's going to look up at you guys. We took a boat. Where is it? Uh, it got snatched by Big Arm. Damn it. Uh, <sighs> Puck at this point. Too late. Puck is going to uh, just kind of still with the war hammer in my hand, just going to like hold up fingers like, uh, just a second. Ernest turns around, like turns Alistair around with her and like uh, takes a step away. It's like, he's not real. <laughs> We've dealt with shape-changing things before. You can't just engage with them because it looks like him. We have to at least verify if their boat's real. In just in the background, if he's not real, why would their boat be real? So just in the background, this is entirely another thing. Just like in between the two of them, as they're facing each other, you see Ernest like like shift into looking like a different person. Shake his head like that's not a good joke right now. Shift back into being himself as he's hearing what they're talking about. It's like he can't be that young. I agree. It's obviously a trap. I think we kneecap him and we take him to the basement for interrogation. Sounds good. All right. Edgar. Can we roll <laughs> for sync? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, like, it's like, if, if there's a movie, it's like our two faces, him in the background, it's like, sounds good, nods, and then just, bam, <laughs> same time. All right. Ernest uh, is like tapping on Edgar's face and it's like, come on, Edgar, they, we can trust these guys. These are good guys. These are the guys we came here for. We like these guys. I only got a three, but... <laughs> All right, we turn around and tuck... Uh, tuck. As Edgar's still and, unconscious. Yeah, he's like, it's fine. We like these guys. These are good guys. Uh, <laughs> and Ernest, you just feel something connect with the back of your knees, and then you are on the ground as uh, your head hits the pavement. And he lands back. He's like, and his eyes are still like coming in and out. <laughs> I thought we were past this bit. You're looking up at... Um, the face, which you kind of vaguely remember. I think you had met Puck maybe twice or yeah. something. Uh, oh, no, face. Wait, you're, like, you're the cranky girl. <laughs> uh, and what you see is that her face is is older too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's lined with uh, stress and old age. There's a few more scars uh, and there's freckles now that I think went there before. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has hair this time around. But oh, no, no, okay, no, Ernest wouldn't recognise her. Okay, yeah, it's a face. Oh, you're like, wait a second. I think wait. I've seen you somewhere. But, I recognise uh, the 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 uh, like the physical force, but nothing else. Yeah, the the <laughs> recognise the pain. The <laughs> braided platinum blonde hair is rather throwing you off. Mm -hmm. um, and the lack of tattoos. Yeah, oh, yeah, Ernest wouldn't recognise her at all then. Yeah. Yes. And then you see, swimming into focus, Alistair's face above you. Uh, slightly bearded, I think, like of a, a short... Got like a stubble beard, long hair tied back in a man bun. And same thing. He looks older. He looks lines on his face. He looks like mid-30s, nearly 40. Mm. Or so you think as you're slowly... It's like, ah, this, he looks exactly uh, 37. <laughs> uh, as you hear Alistair <laughs> say, all right, we're going to have a chat. You can come with us, right? No, it doesn't seem like I have much of a choice. That good. Well done.
water's warm, come on, don't be shy. The tide is low, but the water's high. Everything is smooth, no ribs inside, but you're drifting away. The currents got you tied. Thank you, listeners, for listening to Dark Tides Season Three, Episode One. Back in the habit, We're tentative back, title. Uh, we are glad to be back. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, there will be more episodes coming at you bi-weekly. Every two weeks, there will be new episodes. Um, if you're not already, you can be getting access to all sorts of other bonus content on our Dark Tides Patreon. Patreon. We have a number of different uh, support tiers, but I think tiers. just about everything is now available to you on the $1 tier. So, so. why wouldn't you? Uh, we've it's, got... It's so cheap. It's like a... Oh, yeah. All right. I sneeze at those cheap prices. <laughs> uh, I, uh, nice. We've got like two years worth of monthly bonuses. We've got a full mini sci-fi series uh, called Solar Scar. So cheap it'll give you allergies. Yeah. <laughs> um, Another mini series which is a... Uh, like a radio show. Yeah, the, we've yeah. got a, an in-world radio show. We have the Tear Files, which is uh, following the story of child tear recruits in training during this the, the time jump that's obviously taking place between season two and three. Uh, there's tons of stuff there. If you're interested, go and check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Day long. Hello again, listeners. Aubrey here. I have a little announcement for you. Uh, here at Dark Tides, we we love our music, as you can probably tell. We use a lot of it, um, and we're really excited to give a little plug to an Australian artist who we are really excited about. Uh, this is a song by this artist called Flags from an upcoming album uh, that you should absolutely check out. Now, the name of the artist is Fonz. I'm going to spell that for you, F-U-E-N-Z. You should absolutely check them out. Uh, some fantastic music, and we look forward to featuring more of it in upcoming episodes. Uh, but now, check out Flags. See you later.